Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. So the barbering today is going to be from John 15, verses 9 to 7. So if you've got your Bibles there, uh, follow along or it will be on the screen behind me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask, in my name the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Thanks, Jesse. We're going to have a look at this passage together. Let's pray again and then we'll hook into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the joy that we have together um, to be here this morning. Thank you that you are a God who speaks to us and a God who changes us and works in us. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that this morning. We pray, Lord, excitedly about the series ahead of us. And um, Father, we pray that over the next eight weeks that you would transform us and change us to be more like Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. So one of the best business books ever written is a book called Good to Great. Um, it's, uh, it, the title draws you in. It's, a by, a guy by, it's by a guy called Jim Collins who researched 11 of the most successful companies and had a look at what made them great. And the way that he starts his book is interesting to me because it really draws you into the rest. So here's the very start of his book. Here's the first line and the first paragraph of his book. He says, good is the enemy of great. And that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools, principally because we have good schools. We don't have great government, principally because we have good government. Few people attain great lives, in large part because it's just so easy to settle for the good life. The vast majority of companies never become great precisely because the vast majority of them become quite good and that is their main problem. And just like that, you're drawn into reading the rest of the book. Now, the book has some good stuff on leadership. It is a secular book. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting. But what strikes me the most about this book is not exactly what the book says, but that Jim Collins is touching on a psyche that's kind of within all of us in our culture. Within all of us, there's this idea that good is not good enough. We want to be great. You know, you think about it with sport. You don't just want your team to finish in the top four. You want them to win. 
We want our teams to be great, not just good. You think about school or university, we're told that, you know, the great will get the jobs. And so we want to be the best. Think about social media and the effect that it has upon us. You look at stuff online and you feel great if you're better than others or you feel crushed if you're not that great. This idea that we don't just want to be good, we want to be great, is in our culture kind of everywhere that we look. And so what we want to do is this morning just spend a moment thinking about this idea and thinking about what does God say about what it means to be great. What does the living God speak into this idea of greatness? And how do we get that? And particularly as we start a series called Pursuing Greatness, what does it mean for us to pursue greatness? What does that look like for us to be great? Well, this is what we're going to do over the next eight weeks. And we're going to begin this morning by looking at this passage. But let's just first and foremost set up a little bit about this series. So we're looking at, as Jesse mentioned before, the fruit of the Spirit. So what we've got is nine topics to cover in eight weeks. So we've got love today, and then we've got joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness are going to go together. We've got faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we're going to go on this journey over the next eight weeks. But what we're going to do is we're going to first and foremost see the fruit of the Spirit on display in our great God. We're going to look first and foremost at God who came into the world in Jesus and lived the greatest life that anyone ever lived. We're going to see it in Jesus first. Then we're going to experience the fruit, and then we're going to pursue it. That's the pattern for the rest of the series. If you're looking for the fruit of the Spirit, it's in Galatians 5, but we're going to spend our time looking at this as we look at Jesus in the book of John. And so we pick it up today in the first fruit of the Spirit as we pursue greatness by looking at love. So let's have a look at this. In chapter 15, verse 9, let's pick it up where it says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay one's life down for one's friends. So where do we start in pursuing greatness? Well, we begin with love. And we know that love is great. Everyone knows that. Our whole world is searching for love. We want love. People live for love. They do anything for love. We know that love is great. But of course, where we're starting is seeing that God is giving his love. That's where we begin it. We, we see this love on display in Jesus, and it's in that very first line there, the very first sentence there, where he says that, and we'll repeat it. He says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, as we think about greatness, that could be one of the greatest sentence, sentences ever recorded. I mean, just think about that for a moment. As the Father, the eternal Father, the perfect God has loved the Son. Jesus here is saying that the, the love that existed in the triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit for all eternity, the perfect love of God, Jesus is saying, I'm extending this perfect love, which is perfectly secure and always good, I'm extending this love to you. This is an unbelievable sentence. Because the love of God makes any love that we've ever experienced or known look like nothing. I mean, if you think about it, right, we're human, we know what it is to love, you, you've probably got someone in your life that you love, a bestie that you've had forever, you know, you're, you, the person you love, you've got a, maybe a spouse or kids, so we all know the experience of love, 
For me, when I think about this, because of the fatherly language, I'm drawn to think about it with our daughter, Poppy. Now, um, I didn't understand why parents did so much for kids until we kind of had a kid. And when it comes to our daughter, she's demanded a lot of us. You know, she was a baby. We ne- she needed us to do everything for her. She was fully dependent on us. Uh, we had to do everything. And then you think about not just the sleepless nights and the difficulty of it all. You think about the gross stuff. Like, no one ever really told me about the gross stuff. I mean, you got nappies, but that's, that's nothing compared to the moment where you're holding her and she's sick and she waits till you open her, your mouth to cough into it. Like the amount of times I felt her spit in the back of my throat, it is so gross. And yet you think about it all, and like in the middle of that, like I still love this little girl. I mean, I can't, I miss her when I leave in the morning to work. I'm excited when I get home. I, I don't want to be anywhere else when I'm with her. I, I love her. And, and yet, I'm sinful, and I'm selfish, and I'm broken, and, and I'm flawed, and so so you've got this love that exists in me. And, you know, you might know a version of this love, right? And you can know it with a friend or a family member. You might know this love. But the reality is what Jesus is speaking about here makes that look like nothing. Because it's human love compared to the Creator's love. It's sinful love compared to perfect love. And Jesus is saying... I'm extending the love that the Father has for the Son. I'm extending this love to you. I mean, that's, that's outrageous. This is the craziest sentence you could possibly read. It's unbelievable that God would say this, that He's giving the love the perfect Father has for the Son to us, to me, like to people that are broken and sinful. You know, like we can't even live up to our own standards, and yet God is saying, I'm giving you this perfect, secure love. And of course, we see this love not just in that sentence in verse 9, we see the love in verse 13. Do you see it there? He says, greater love has no one than this to lay one's life down for one's friends. Jesus is showing us this love. He's not just saying, hey, I love you with the eternal perfect love of God. He's saying, I'm going to show you that at the cross. Now, we kind of know that the cross needs love. The cross doesn't make sense without love. You know, you think about it, why would God hang on the cross for, if, if not for love? Why would he hang up there? If he could take himself down off the cross, why would he be beaten and mocked and shamed? Why would he stay up there? It doesn't make sense without love, but when you begin to see the love that he has for us, it begins to make sense. He's doing that so that people could have a relationship with God where their sin is no longer held against them and they can have the security and the peace that God gives. You know, when we think about greatness... Forget great companies, forget fame, forget anything the world offers. This is greatness, that the living God would extend his love to a people like us and show that for us at the cross. This is true greatness, that the great and living God would enter into the world in Jesus, that he would live the greatest life that would have the greatest impact on all of human history, that he would prove himself by signs and wonders and then die. Why? Because of his great love for us. You see, when we begin this series and we begin thinking about greatness, we've got to start by seeing the greatness of God displayed in Jesus at the cross, which shows us his great love. We have to start by seeing this love. But if we stop there, we don't go far enough. 
Because Jesus doesn't just want us to see this love. He wants us to experience this love. You see, have a look at verse 9 here. He says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And then there's this next, the, these next words, these next five words. Now remain in my love. Now what does that mean, to remain in God's love? What does that look like? Well, essentially, Jesus is inviting us to experience God's love. Remain has these great kind of connotations with it. You know, to sit in, to dwell in His love. It's kind of this idea, not just to leave God at an arm's length, but to bring Him in close. In fact, my favorite kind of association with this word is the idea of to soak in. He's saying, soak in my love. And I love that language because it brings some helpful images to mind. And so, so recently, here it is, here's the image. Recently, we were um, on holidays at Noosa. Uh, Elizabeth, my wife, and Poppy went, to, went on holidays. We were fortunate enough to stay at a friend's house. And our rule on holidays is beach every day. That's our rule. You just got to go to the beach when you can every day. And so we did that. Now, Noosa, the beach is unbelievable. I mean, people travel the world to get to this beach. If you haven't been there, you've got like crystal clear water where on a good day the fish are swimming around you and it's, it's the best. And then you've got like a, a decent amount of sand and then you've got a boardwalk. So the boardwalk's at the top where you can go to the shops and then come around on the boardwalk. And as we went to the beach every day, we began to notice there's three types of people. There's the people on the boardwalk. Now these are the people who are just having a look. You know, they, they've come down to the boardwalk, they can see the beauty of the water but it's pretty clear by their suits and ties they're not going to go into the water. They're not wearing suits and ties. But it's pretty clear that they're not experiencing the water. They're distant. But there's a lot of people on the boardwalk having a look. So you've got the first group of people on the boardwalk. They're distant. Then you've got the second group of people. This is more people than I can kind of get my head around. These are the people who have gone into the water at some point. Maybe they just put their toes in, but now they're back on the sand and they're just chilling on the sand. Now, this, in my mind, is just cold. I get so cold after that moment. And so you've got those people. They've experienced the water at some point, but now they're back from the water, and I'm going to call this group cold. That's what they are. They're cold. Then you've got the next group of people, the people in the water. Now, this is our family. We love the water. Um, if we're going to the beach, we're going into the water. That's, the, that's kind of the rule. Elizabeth likes the water more than I do. And we were concerned about Poppy. What if she doesn't like the water? Well, good news, she loves the water. We would take her down to the sand, and straight away, she'd just run into those waves. Obviously, we had to, to stop her from running into the waves. But, but we'd sit in the water. We'd soak in the water. And it gets to that point where, you know, your, your hands are starting to shrivel up. And you kind of think, we probably should get out of the water. But Poppy, she's speaking a little bit now, and one of her words that she says like a thousand times a day is the word more. If you know her, you know that's true. She says more all of the time. And so we would be in the water, shriveled up, ready to get out, and we'd say, Poppy, are you ready to go? And she'd say, more. And so we'd have to stay for a little bit longer in the water. And so you've got that picture of soaking in the water, deep in the water. Now, three types of people at the beach. But I think this is helpful for us because Jesus' language here where he says, now remain in my love, I think this is helpful. It gives us a picture of kind of what he's speaking about because when you think about the love of God, there is three types of people. You can have the first group of people who can see the love of God, but they've never experienced the love of God. They stay at a distance. You know, maybe they come to church once in a blue moon. Maybe they come to church once in a little while. Maybe they're here, but they're not really here. They don't really want to be at church. 
And they, they come, but they're distant. They're far from God. They haven't experienced it. They're not hungry for God's word. They're not hungry to hear from God or to encourage his people. And the type of relationship you describe this is distant. You know, yes, I know what God has done, but I'm distant. Then you got the second group of people. This is the people on the sand. This is the people who have experienced the love of God at some point in their life, but now they've come back to the sand. You know, this, in this group, it might be people who at one point in their life were on fire for God, you know, hungry for God. These were the people that you could never stop coming to an event. They were there at everything. They loved reading, loved praying, loved meeting with God's, God's people and encouraging God's people. They were on fire, but at some point in their life, maybe it was a big thing, Maybe it was small things, but over time they began to walk a little bit away. And you know the relationship where you describe a relationship of cold, right? You, maybe you know that experience with people. That's the type of relationship that people in this category would have with God. When you think about it, the experience of my relationship with God, it's cold. You got the first distance, the, the second cold, and then you got the third, soaking in God's love. You know these people. They can't get enough, right? These are the people who are, at, who are at everything, right? They even rock up at sick, and it's like, bro, do you know the times? You shouldn't be here because you see, but they're hungry for God's word, and then they come to church, and then they go home, and they read, and they pray, and they're texting, and they're at everything because they're hungry for God. They want more of him. These people, they're not just the people who pray when they want something. They're the people that pray all the time. They're just always praying for stuff. These are the people, you know them, right, who say, I'm going to pray for you, and you know they are. These are the people who are soaking in, remaining in God's love. Now, I wonder this morning, which one resonates with you? Now, I wonder as you think about this, which one sits with you? You know, for me in my life, I've been all three. I grew up, 18 years of my life, I went to church, but I didn't experience God's love. It was at a distance. I knew it but I didn't experience it. I was distant from God. Then I became a Christian, and over time, I, you know, you could describe my journey as there's been times where I've been on fire and soaking in the love of God, and there's been times where I've stepped back and need encouragement to go in. I've been all three, but I, I wonder this morning where you sit in that. You see, the good news this morning is that this passage is not a rebuke. It's an invitation. You see that? Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you now. Remain in my love. Jesus is saying, get in here. So if you're distant or if you're cold in your relationship with God, Jesus is inviting you back. He wants you in there. He wants you to remain in his love, to soak in his love, to experience it all of the time, not to see you know, Sunday mornings as enough. You know, that's kind of like thinking that if someone got a cup of water and splashed you on the boardwalk and, and you went, well, I've done the beach. No, Sundays are just a, a start. It's, it's significant, but it's just a start for us to soak in the love of God. And Jesus is inviting us to get back in and, and to experience this, to leave this place today and continue to praise and love God, to get into his word and prayer, to encourage people to, to be with God's people. To be in prayer, to be helping God's people grow. Jesus is inviting us in deeper to soak in his love. You see, when we think about this, right, pursuing greatness, yes, it begins with seeing this love, but Jesus invites us in. Not at an arm's length, but close. So we see God's love. 
We experience this love. We have to experience this love. And then we pursue this love. We see this in this passage. This is what Jesus says. We go after this love. So let's have a look at that from verse 14. He says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. We see the love of God. We experience the love of God, and then we respond to the love of God. And, and what does this response looks like, uh, look like? What does it look like? Well, there's two elements to this. The first is fruit produced. So you see that in this passage, Jesus speaks about a fruit that is produced in you. Now, the context here and in these chapters that we're in in John is most probably when non-Christians become Christians. And essentially, Jesus is speaking to his disciples saying, as you follow Jesus, there's going to be a wake of people behind you that come to faith. That's kind of the idea that he's speaking about here when it comes to fruit. But the reality with fruit is it's not just fruit outside of us, it's fruit within us. And we know that when we think about the fruit of the Spirit. That's, that's true. It's fruit produced in us. And here in this passage, he speaks about love, how love will be produced in you. Now, what I, I love about this is, again, this was my experience. So 18 years, then I became a Christian. And what was interesting is I began to love people, which I didn't before. So for, for particularly, if you knew me at the end of high school, I had six close friends who I loved, but I loved those guys because they gave me something back. It was counterfeit love. It was selfish love. I respected them. I liked them. They weren't like other people. So those were my crew, and everyone else, essentially, I couldn't really care for. And people outside of that friendship group, if you knew me in high school, they would say, this guy is a little arrogant guy. They'd use a little bit different language than that. And it was fair that was a fair reflection on who I was. But then by God's grace, he saved me. Not from what I did, from what he did alone. I couldn't earn the love and the grace that God gave me. And he saved me. And then what happened is something changed in me. So I remember I hung out with a group of friends. Well, they were now friends that I knew in high school. And when, I, when we hung out, I talked to them. Now, that sounds radical doesn't it? I actually spoke to them, which I, didn't, I wouldn't have done before. And as we spoke, they began to see there was something different in me. And they said that. You know, they said to me, we can see that there's something different in you. Now, what it was, was it was fruit produced in me. I didn't do that. I didn't even know I was unloving, right? I didn't even know that I was unloving. But when I got to know Jesus, it was fruit produced in me. Now I loved people. And I didn't do that. It was just produced, this is the first aspect of our response. When we see the love of God and experience the love of God, the fruit produced in us will be to love other people. That will be the fruit produced in us. That's why he says, if you do what I command, you will remain in my love. He's not saying you've got to work to be in God's family. It's just this idea. If you're in the family of God, if you've experienced the love of God, you will be loving. You will have this fruit. That's, that's the reality. So there's something quite profound here. If you want to be someone who's more loving, soak in God's love. The more that you soak in God's love, the more loving you will be because that's what fruit produce looks like. It's gradual. I mean, you think about a tree. It's gradual. It happens over time, but there's fruit 
that's produced. So, so that's the first element of this response, fruit produced. The second, though, is fruit pursued. You notice Jesus doesn't just in this passage go, okay, the fruit's going to be produced in you, so do nothing. No, how many times did he say, this is my command, love one another? He's speaking about action. He's saying, go after this. Be a people who are pursuing love, pursuing each other as you love them. Which then raises the question, how do we pursue this love? What does this look like for us to go after love? Well, this morning we've got three things. And really, as we think of these three things, it's going to set up for us our series ahead of us over the next eight weeks. Three things for us to think about how we can pursue this love. So the first thing of how we can pursue love is to join us over the next eight weeks. Join us on this journey as we look at the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the reason for that is because people have argued that love is kind of the umbrella term for the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. So if you think about it, um, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things are loving things. Or you think about, you know, the famous wedding passage, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. A bunch of the things that he mentions there, he's saying love is the fruit of the Spirit that's about to come. The greatest of these is love, Paul says in Corinthians. So there's this sense that if we want to be a people who are pursuing love, we have to be pursuing the rest of the fruit of the Spirit as well. And so this morning, if you want to take this invitation seriously, join us. Over the next eight, week, eight weeks, as we pursue this on a Sunday, we're going to look at greatness as we look at the fruit of the Spirit. So that's, that's the first way that you can pursue this with us. The second way, though, is in growth groups. You see, here at Southside, our growth groups, we look at the passage that we've looked at on a Sunday in the middle of the week. And in this series, we're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what that means is every week, because we're going to be looking at something different, is important. Now, that's true all of the time at Southside, gathering as a growth group, gathering in the middle of the week to encourage one another and spur one another on. That's important, but it's, it's just as important in this series. Now, I know the temptation is, you know, when we're tired, when we've got stuff on. I, I understand the temptation. I've, you know, there's been times where I haven't lived up to this and I've struggled to, you know, to go, well, it doesn't matter if I miss growth group. But this series, like every series, it does matter. Because each series is going to be different. Each, each week is going to be different. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be confronting. It's going to be comforting and encouraging. But there is a reality that what we push into in this series, every week is going to matter. And so we'd love to encourage you to join us in a growth group. If you're not in a growth group, I'd love to talk to you about how to get in one. I can point you to the right people or join us in two weeks' time at the Newcomers Morning Tea and they'll get you hooked into the next steps. But growth group's going to be important in this series. So first, I should just say one more on growth group. It's really practical this term. Maybe more practical than we've ever done at Southside because of the nature of the series. So each week we're going to look at the definition of love and the rest of the fruit the opposite of that, the counterfeit of that, we're going to think really deeply about practically what this looks like. So it's exciting. I'm excited for the growth group books this term. So first Sunday, second growth groups, then finally, something else in our growth group books. I want to point this out to you today because it starts tomorrow. So we've got two things in our growth group books that I want to point out. We've got devotions, a Monday devotion and a Friday devotion, thinking about the fruit of the Spirit that we've just looked at. Now, if you're someone who has your 
time with God, reading and praying, if you've got a pattern with that, this is on top of that. But if you've got nothing, this is a place to start. It's just a a short devotion on Monday and Friday to help you engage with God's Word about the particular fruit that we're looking at. And on Monday's one, uh, each week, there's an encouragement to text people about your encouragement from that passage. So the hope is that in this series, we are spamming each other with God's Word on a Monday morning. So, So that's there for you in your growth group books. But the second thing is something we've never done at Southside, which is called a weekly exercise. Now, this is kind of exciting and kind of daunting for me as I think about pushing into this. Uh, A weekly exercise is something that you'll have to do to give yourself five to ten minutes. You know, if you've got a family, you could do it as a family. Some of them, maybe it just needs to be a little bit more personal than that and on uh, just for you as an individual. But it's, it's a space where you actually think a little bit more practically about pursuing the fruit. So let me give you an example. Some of these are easy and some of these are going to be very confronting, but for the good of us. And I'm really excited by that. So uh, I'll give you the, the example for the first weekly exercise on love. So the weekly exercise this week is to think about doing an action this week which would be questionable love. Now, what do we mean by that? It's simply an action of love where someone asks, why are you doing that? You know, you ever experienced an action of questionable love? Well, this is, this is the pursuit this week. So we've given you like uh, 10 to 15 examples of this, you know, from things like buying someone an Uber Eats voucher. Why? Because we love them. Or being the person at work that does the job that no one likes to do. You know, there's always that job, emptying the dishwasher. Why are you the guy that always does that? Why are you the girl that always does that? Well, it's because you love the people around you. It could be things like babysitting to help a couple go out and experience a a date together. It could be anything like that. Or the ideas that we've got in your growth group books might spark new ideas for you. That's kind of the point. It's not really, you know, here's the 10 ways of showing love and there's no other way. No, it's to kind of spark more ideas for you. And listen, no one's grading you on this, right? That's important to note. You're not, next week, we're not going to come and go, how did you go out of 10? No one's doing that. This is something that each of us will have to pursue in and of ourselves in the pursuit of loving people. So I want to point that out to you because if you want to do that, then you might have to grab a growth group book before growth group this week. They're at the front. You can grab one on your way out. But we have loaded the growth group books up with lots of ways for us to think about how we can pursue this fruit. And we're doing this because we recognize that when we, res- when we see the love of God and experience the love of God, we respond to this love by fruit produced in us and by the pursuit of this fruit. And, and this is kind of exciting for us as a church. Because if we can go after these things, the reality is we are going after greatness. In fact, every week we're going after greatness because what we're going to see every week is that the fruit of the Spirit is exactly what Jesus showed us. These are characteristics of Jesus. He showed us it perfectly and then he invites us to experience it. And and if in this series we can go after this with integrity and authenticity and a humility then we will experience transformation. And it's beautiful. I mean, I already think this church is great. But if we can keep going after these things, I mean, can you, can you picture the church that loves one another? Can you picture the church that is at peace with one another? What about patience? 
Right, if that was the thing we experienced on a Sunday morning, that just a patience with each other, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, joy, self-control, if this is what we were growing in from one degree to the next, then we will continue to be a great church because we will be like Jesus. This series is exciting, and I pray that you'll join us in the middle of it and that God will do some things among us. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we think about greatness, we begin with Jesus. And we see the greatest person who ever lived show the greatest love that we could ever know. We pray, Father, that we would experience this, and then, God, that you would work by your Spirit in us to be a people of greatness, beginning first and foremost this morning as we've thought about to be a people of love. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to produce this in our hearts, but also, Lord, that this would be something we go after and we pursue. And we pray this for your glory and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.